0: Welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study for february tenth. We will be studying the book of Revelation. We'll be in chapter seven in just a few minutes. Before we get started, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our Father, we count it a joy and a blessing to have been given this time to study a portion of your word, and we pray, Father, that all will go well and the hearts and minds will be open as we look at your word. We pray, Father, for the leaders of our Country and the leaders of the world that they might seek you for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding which you will freely give to them. We pray, Father, for your church throughout the world that it might be about doing the business of spreading the gospel in the Great Commission. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Before we get started, one of the things that uh, I like to impress is that the Bible is the best interpretation for the Bible. I found this to be true over and over. As I've gotten into the study of the book of Revelation, which I've studied for many, many years, I have uh, some books that I'm able to use as a reference. Here's The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire by Gibbons. I also have a a nice little book by Jim McGuigan the book of Revelation. I have John Hines' book on the book of Revelation. I have George DeHoff's commentary on the book of Revelation, and I have Tom Holland's guide for the book of Revelation. I've also put together an entire three-ring binder over the years of different things that I have found on the book of Revelation that I have collected. But as I said, the greatest commentary that you can have on the book of Revelation is not the evening news, it is not someone who claims to have special knowledge. I do not claim to have special knowledge, but it is the Bible itself that you can use. So if you don't think I use pictures, I do it for a reason, because pictures are what we envision. What is written in the book of Revelation is what the apostle John saw, and he describes those. And He does the best job that we can possibly uh, go for. So without further ado, let's get into the book of Revelation. The theme for tonight's study is Revelation. The theme for the entire chapter really is who is able to stand. And we're going to do a brief preview of our previous classes for 1 through 6. As we went through chapter 1, and we'll do this rather briefly we saw what Jesus, the command that gave to John. He tells John, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. And so he he writes to him, but he tells him in verse 1 about the things that are to shortly come to pass. So he's writing these things, to the seven churches chapters 2 and 3 we had the brief preview there are two chapters that go together and it is from the seven churches of Asia which are actual churches we can find them on the map they are historically accurate as we got down to chapter 4 we looked at a picture of the majesty of God in heaven it was uh, remember this book is in symbolic language Uh, So everything that he saw was symbolic of what really was. And so we come down to chapter 5. The theme of chapter 5 was worthy is the lamb. We come down to chapter 6 and we found that the lamb was worthy to break the seals, the seven seals of the scroll. And we see that the seals began to be opened in chapter 6. God is showing his judgments that are about to begin. He shows those that are slain for the faith and are comforted. And the judgment is declared, and the very last uh, verse in chapter 6 says, For a great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And so that's the question. And I have down at the bottom, if you can see, that there are no chapter breaks. There were no chapter breaks when John wrote this. There were scenes after scenes that were divided. But as far as the chapters, and it's unfortunate that chapter 6 and chapter 7 are called such because chapter 7 really is, flows completely After chapter 6, because the question is asked, and who can stand? Who can stand? Chapter 7 answers that very question. And so he he talks about, back up here, for the great day of their wrath has come. And so as we look at what the great day of, of God's wrath is and who they are, we have many days. The day of God's wrath is always seen in the context of the passage of which it is written. And there have been many days of God's wrath throughout Scripture, and some are towards individuals, some are towards nations, and we find that a day of God's wrath will be at the end of this age that we call earth, which will be the beginning of eternity. And Job chapter 20, verse 28, which is arguably the oldest book written by Moses, it was written uh, we find in Job chapter 20 and verse 28, the possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. Well, he's not talking about the end of the world. He's not talking about the day of God's wrath for, uh, for Israel or Babylon or Edom or anybody else. He's talking, he's simply making a general statement here. In Psalm 110 verse 5, it says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Uh, so within the context of Psalm 10, it's talking about a certain day. Proverbs 11.4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So generally speaking, there are many days of wrath that are talked about in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 13, if we go back to verse 1 of chapter 13, is talking about Babylon and the day of wrath. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make a land a desolation and destroy its sinners. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light, and the sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. The very language that we heard before in chapter 6. It is the day of wrath. But this day of wrath is talking about Babylon. Drop down to verse 13. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of His fierce anger. And that day of anger was against Babylon. He's not talking about the end of the world. So that day of wrath... Ezekiel chapter 7, of which we're going to reference here, uh, they cast their silver into the streets and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. And this is the day of the wrath of the Lord talking about um, Jerusalem and talking about uh, Judah. Uh, verse, or chapter 28, or pardon me, 38 of Ezekiel talks about, but on that day, The day that Gog shall come up against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. And this passage is not talking about something in the future to where uh, Russia is coming. He's talking about the wrath uh, against the land of Israel. And the book of Ezekiel is all about the day of God's wrath against Israel. Uh, He was a contemporary around the time of Jeremiah. And Psalms says, ask the question, but you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you and once your anger is roused? And that's the question that is asked. Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Joel asks this in Joel 2.11, For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Malachi 3.2, But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? for he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. So that question has been asked many times in Scripture so they would have recognized those in the first century. This is uh, making a reminder, who can stand? And they ask the question. So we come down to chapter 7, answers that question. Who can stand in the day of God's wrath against the enemies uh, there in the first century of the seven churches that he's talking to? Uh, Those that can stand, Jesus said in revelation 210 do not fear what you are about to suffer behold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation be faithful unto death and i will give you the crown of life revelation 217 he says he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers your version may say overcome same word i will give some Of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So here he talks about what is going to be given, and that's consistent with what we're going to read. Matthew chapter ten, verse twenty-two says, And you will be hated, he's talking to his disciples, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew twenty-four, thirteen. Uh, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here. Hebrews 3.14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So throughout Scripture, it is talked about those who endure to the end, not those who make it halfway, not those who, as we might read in the parable of the sower, Uh, Those who either through persecution or through the cares of the world drop off or those who simply reject the word of God, those aren't going to be saved in the end. Only those who endure. Those are the ones that can be saved. So in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, he says, After this, uh, the visions that he saw in chapter uh, 6, the uh, revealing the seals, uh, we've come down and we've had six seals that have been uh, loosened. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And so, uh, we have this uh, this vision here. Well, for anyone who knows uh, that the earth is a severe, and, and I'm not even going to get into those people who talk about that there's a flat earth. There's no such thing as a flat earth. Don't fall for that. But... The earth is often spoken in terms of four corners. We have east, west, north, south. We have the four directions. So that is consistent. He's talking about the entire earth holding back the four winds of the earth. When we see this chapter, uh, what we see in this chapter is like what we see in Ezekiel chapter uh, 9. What we're seeing is the idea that God is going to protect His own, those who have come through the tribulation, not from persecution, or death. He's not going to save them from that, but from the judgment that he is about to inflict upon those who persecuted them. He wants them to know he is protecting them. In Ezekiel chapter 9 verse uh, 4 through 6, read this before we get into uh, what's going to be talked about in Revelation 7. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. This is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember, this is a contemporary uh, to Ezekiel uh, in that time. So he says, put a mark on their foreheads. Was he putting a literal mark that they could see? No, this figurative language, as we call it, apocalyptic. Uh, and that's the nomenclature that we use today, apocalyptic, even though the book of Revelation in Greek is called uh, apocalypsos. That means a revealing. But our culture says apocalyptic is that which has uh, cloaked meaning. In Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to me and said, And you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God, to the land of Israel, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. The four winds represent that which will go throughout the whole earth. The four corners of the earth, the four living creatures in chapter 4, all speak of something that is going to go throughout the world. Look throughout Scripture to see what winds represent. Generally speaking, it is the activities of God. And typically, those activities have to do with judgment. In Psalm 104, verses 3 and 4, He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes His messengers winds. His ministers a flaming fire. This was quoted in the book of Hebrews uh, in the first chapter. Why are they holding back the four winds? He doesn't want them to start to unleash the wrath of God and His judgment until... You have placed the seal of protection on my servants. That's what he says. I want you to hold them back until you have sealed them. The exact same idea that we have that was in Ezekiel chapter 9. They would have understood this. So we come down to verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads, it's very plain what he's trying to say. Uh, this angel that comes down, he has the seal exactly like what was in uh, Ezekiel chapter nine. The uh, as it says, uh, another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. Why the rising of the sun? You know, we we could pass over this and say, well, it has to come from some direction, but we can find uh, uh, clues to this. Uh, throughout scripture in malachi chapter 4 and verse 1 through 2 behold the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble the day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch but for you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings well which direction does the the sun rise from it comes from the east so good things come out of the east uh and second Peter chapter one and verse nineteen, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, well, which the morning star rising in your heart, and the day dawns that talks about the east in Ezekiel chapter nine and verse four, and the Lord said to them, "Pass through the city." through Jerusalem and put a mark on their foreheads and the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in them. We're talking about those who are faithful, those who have rejected the idolatry that was happening in the day of Ezekiel and Jeremiah in that time. Uh, that uh, when you see something that is, that is sealed, that has a mark on it, we go back to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So when they saw this sign, or uh, in a sense, they were sealed because of that. The, in 2 Corinthians, uh, we read in 2 Corinthians one twenty-two, And who has also put his seal on us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The seal of Revelation 7 is not the seal of the Holy Spirit, for they are already Christians, and they already have that seal of the Holy Spirit. It is the seal of protection. Judgment is about to begin on the ungodly, the ones who are persecuting His servants. In chapter seven, we see the same group from two views. In chapters, or pardon me, in verses one through eight, we see uh, the before shot of the 144,000, and then we see the after shot uh, after they've come through it. In verses nine through seventeen, the great multitude is going to be talked about. We will see them again in chapter fourteen. How do we know they're the same group? because they have the same identifying marks. What must both have in order to stand before the throne of God? Well, the 144,000 and the great multitude are both sealed. Only the sealed will be allowed. They have the name of God written on them. We saw this, we went back to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. They have the name written on them. And they must overcome or they must conquer. Uh, That's how we know that they are. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 through 4, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And uh, so they have their name written on them. This is exactly what we find in Revelation chapter three and verse twelve: "The one who conquers or overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of My God." Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. All of this is contained throughout the book of Revelation. We come right down to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We read this same description. Revelation 22, 3, 4, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And this is an identifying feature of those who have overcome and made it through. We come down to verse four, and I heard the number of the sealed, the one hundred and forty four thousand, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And so, as we look at this, who are they? We ask the questions. Uh, Are they God's chosen people from the Old Testament? Are they Jews? Are they Christians? Well, these are those identified in the last verse of chapter 6. Who can stand? Those who can stand. The ones who will be protected from the coming judgment. We see them on the other side later in this chapter and in chapter 14. Who is the Israel of God? Well, Israel is often... Uh, the same name that we use for Jews. They originally were Israel, which were the 12 tribes. Later, after the exile, they became known as Jews. Paul says in Galatians 6.16, As for all of all who walk by his rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Well, the Israel of God that he's talking about is the church. Romans 2.28-29, and 29, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. So he uses that identifying mark. In uh, Matthew chapter 19, and verse 28, Jesus said to them, "...Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." Uh, So he's not necessarily talking about the 12 tribes, uh, Gad, Issachar, Reuben, Levi, Simeon, Joseph, Judah, Zebulun, uh, Benjamin, Asher, Naphtali, Dan. He's talking about the church. James 1.1, James says, A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Well, he's he's talking to Christians there, which is obvious as he writes through his uh, book. So as we come down to verse 5, we identify that there's 144,000. And 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Okay? Now, did you keep track of each one of those? Okay? If this is literally Israel, who is missing and who is included? If you kept track, you see that Dan is not included here. And Ephraim is not included there. Why? Why is it that Joseph and Manasseh, his second born son, are included here? Even though Manasseh was given, uh, pardon me, Manasseh was the oldest one. Ephraim was the younger one. So Joseph and Manasseh are included, but Ephraim is not. Dan is not. If this is literally the number of those of Israel, why is there exactly 12,000, regardless of the size of the tribe? Is there only room in heaven for 12,000? Well, uh, when I say for 12,000, that should be 12,000 times the 12 tribes, 144,000. And that's what some groups, I have the JW, the Jehovah Witness, says there's only 144,000 in heaven. Is that all there is room for in heaven? If this is to be taken literally, then according to chapter 14, there are no people who have been married and no women in heaven. If you're going to take this literally, if you do one, you have to do them all. As the old saying goes, in for a penny, in for a pound. Revelation 14.4 says, It is these, when he talks about the 144,000, who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. So we find there are no women and there are no married people. There are only men in heaven. Does that sound reasonable? No, it, it's, it's completely unreasonable to see that. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And when we get to chapter 14, we'll talk about this verse in particular. But these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and for the Lamb. So we come down to uh, verse 9 and 10. After this, I looked and so we can see that he is going to see the same group. Now he's seeing them, and we're going to find out who they are. He identifies them for us. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So we have a number before this, up to verse 8, we have 144,000. Now we have a great multitude that no one can number. And so we go back and, and we look at in the context of what the Bible tells us. In Genesis thirteen sixteen, God is talking to Abraham. He said, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted we come down to Genesis 15:5 and he brought him outside and said look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them then he said to him so shall your offspring be so here's a reference to how many people are going to be children of Abraham and that won't be talking about just those who are of Israel and later on Jews or uh, and such but he's talking about those who would be children of Abraham by faith which includes Christians Revelation 5.9 uh, refers to, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Here he is again, every tribe, language, people, and nation. So that's referring uh, to what he is seeing here in chapter 7. In Leviticus, uh, we find the uh, Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, it says, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the lord seven days on the first day shall be a solemn rest and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest and you shall take on the first day fruit of the splendid trees branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook and you shall rejoice before the lord your god seven days okay we have a a picture as it were which we have seen from the book of leviticus but we also see this in the gospel of john chapter 12 verses 12 and 13 the next day, we see that Jesus is entering uh, towards the end of his life, uh, the last week. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Uh, so this is a, a, great, uh, a, a great celebration, and they would have recognized this. We come down to Revelation 11, uh, 7, 11, and 12. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Here seven things. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Lest we skip over this, we say, well, that's a, that's a great scene, and we would say that it's a crescendo of ever-increasing praise to God. Let's go back just a little bit. It all began with the four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings or full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So here's the beginning of this. It begins with the four living creatures. Next we find whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne, and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. So now we have another group that is entered in. We come down to chapter 5, and then the myriad of angels join in. He says, Then I looked and heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels numbered myriads of myriads, which means millions of millions, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing, honor, glory, and might forever and ever. So we have everything that is on the earth, including these angels that have joined in. And lastly of all, we have in verses 11 and 12, we have that that number of crowd which no one can number. Virtually everything is giving glory and honor and praise to God. So as we come down to... Uh, verse 13 of Revelation chapter 7. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? Uh, we have, uh, go back to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. He said, And one of the elders said to me, uh, So the elders are and people who are around John are having, as it were, a, a two-way conversation. They're asking, they're describing these, uh, these things to, uh, to John. Why does he ask the question, and why is it important to know the answer? Okay, Everything in the book of Revelation is given for a reason. Everything there. We may not be able to understand why all these things are described in great detail, but there is nothing that is left to chance here. It says, because God has sealed those who are to come out of tribulation, and his promise to bring them through is confirmed here. Why does he ask the question as we come back to here? Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? He's asking this to John. And now John, I said to him, Sir, you know. John apparently does, he doesn't know, but he knows that the one who is asking him has the answer. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation." They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And he identifies it. We don't have to wonder, uh, well, who are these people? I'm going to, according to uh, some special knowledge that I have. No, he comes right out and tells us exactly who they are. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And it seems hard for us to understand that something could be made white by washing it in blood. But we go back to... Um, uh, he's. Well, pardon me. We'll continue on to verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Uh, so this this temple that He's talking about is the sacred part of the temple. There's two words for um, for temple uh, that are generally speaking in the New Testament. The Greek this is a It's the sacred part of the temple. Another Greek word. Uh, which we'll get to uh, pronounce somewhat like "heron" uh, means just the temple in general. So it says, "Therefore," uh, and what is that "therefore" referring to? Because they have washed their blood in the uh, robe, wearing robes uh, of white, washed in the blood of the lamb, and they've come out of the great tribulation. Therefore, because of this, they are before that, and so. If we would go back, those who served day and night in the temple, we might go all the way back to Samuel, who was uh, apparently he was sleeping there when he received that uh, message from God. But he was one who spent uh, time sleeping there in the temple to make sure the uh, things were well. In Luke chapter two and verse thirty-six through thirty-seven, we read of someone, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna was devoted. She never left that temple area. And here's the, uh, the Greek word is Aaron. This is uh, the temple. Uh, obviously, she would not have been in the inter-sacred part of this, but she would have been out in the temple area. Uh, and that's what this word means here. She didn't depart from the temple. She was absolutely devoted. And we can look at those people who are uh, before the, the temple, night and day. And only those who were priests could be in the sacred parts of the temple. And we find that those who are priests, uh, those who are Christians, are uh, known as priests. Uh, this shelter is a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. We go back and look at uh, verse 9. He's going therefore. Uh, Points back to a previous statement because they had remained true and they had conquered or overcame through the tribulation. And how is this possible? Because of the blood of Lamb. Jesus' blood makes all things possible. We look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. We sing a song, There is power in the blood. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 19 knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, Paul is addressing the elders from Ephesus, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. All of these things are possible because of the blood of Christ. Verse 16 of Revelation 7 They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Uh, we have this, uh, come back here, it says, hunger no more, neither shall they thirst anymore. And, and these are very common phrases that have been used in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul uses uh, alludes to this uh, when he talks about there shall no more, shall they uh, have tears in the, for the, in the letter to Corinth. But also as we come down to the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to see much the same language here. They're not going to hunger, neither thirst anymore. And John 4:10 Jesus answered her talking to the woman at the well If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you Give me drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water In John chapter 6 and verse 57 and 58 As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me This is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread of the fathers ate and died whoever feeds on this bread will live forever And talking about promises, the present and the future, Uh, we talk about what they have to look forward to. And those people who are in the first century who are about to go through this tribulation have to know that there is something on the other side of this. They've received it as a promise, but they're being given this vision, uh, this letter that John is going to write because of the promises that God has made. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, "...and without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists." to believe that God exists. Well, we know that James tells us even the demons believe, and they shudder. But they also must believe that He rewards those who seek Him. And so there's a reward talked about this. In Psalm 121.6, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Uh, talking about a relief that they can have. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 8-10, through 10, this is the spiritual promise that made for the time of Jesus' ministry. He says, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out to those who are in darkness. Appear. They shall feed along the ways, and on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. Uh, So as we we come down to the last verse uh, in this, this is the spiritual promises made in the time of Jesus' ministry. And we can see this by looking at the context of Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy... There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. He's speaking of the time of Jesus and His offer of salvation. This is a prophecy of the days of Christ. And so we come down to the last verse in the chapter which says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's talking about this time when they make it through the tribulation, and they will if they have the faith, is that they can expect a reward. And this lamb that is in the midst, we come back to Revelation chapter 5 and 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. And this lamb was identified as Christ. Jesus identified himself in John chapter 10 and verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. Why am I showing you these verses? Because these are all consistent. So if we have a wonder of what these verses are talking about, we have the Bible as a reference to see. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Peter writes in his letter twice. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. But now he speaks, he's talking about in the present time, but he's also in chapter 5 and verse 4 talking about a future time. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus identified himself as a shepherd then, Peter identifies him as the shepherd uh, nearly a generation later, and he identifies that Christ will still be the shepherd. And we read in verse 17 that Christ indeed will always be the shepherd of his people. And John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the promise that Christ has made over and over. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 through 20. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. For a people shall dwell in Zion in Jerusalem, who you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry as soon as He hears it. He answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eye shall see your teacher. So this promise is made in Isaiah chapter 30, uh, talking about the time of Christ. You shall weep no more. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Or the, uh, I'll, I'll get that in just a minute. He will dwell with them. He will tabernacle with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. So this promise extends all the way down to Revelation chapter 21. It keeps coming back to that, um, uh, this promise that God has made and the assurance that they will surely have this. Okay, so we come to the end of uh, chapter 7. And we have sailed right through it briefly. Uh, next week we're going to talk about chapter 8, the opening of the seventh seal and the seven trumpets begin to sound. Uh, up to this point it has been uh, uh, proceeding at a, at, a, uh, at a pace and talking about those, those things that there's going to be a judgment. Beginning in chapter 8 we're going to begin to see those judgments uh, coming to pass. Okay, and as we close out our class, I thank you for taking the time. And I hope that this has been beneficial to you as we have looked at the scriptures uh, to help define what uh, the book of Revelation is talking about. And those promises were not only for the first century, but they are for us as well. That We need to be overcoming and we need to conquer in our lives. We are not to back down from anything. As we close, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Father, as we close out this time that we have shared together, we pray that it has been profitable. We pray that we have looked at your word uh, in truth and in spirit. We pray, Father, that uh, we will be strong to the end. We will look to you for the strength that you will guide us all along the way through your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We'll see you again next week.